This is Clearly Christian with Dr. Cy Smith, bringing light and giving voice to our country's single greatest hope while moving the culture to God's design. Our mission, to increase the census of those who live and influence society from a biblical worldview. The time for Clearly Christian is now. Here is your host, Dr. Cy Smith. Hi, I'm Dr. Cy Smith, and this is Clearly Christian a podcast about what it means to see the world from a biblical worldview or a biblical frame of reference or even God's perspective, and then the impact that that has on training the next generation to live a life consistent with that biblical worldview. Today, I'm excited to welcome our guest, Pastor Phil Lineweber. He's an associate pastor at Berean Baptist Church in Mansfield, Ohio, and he's also the vice president of the school board at Mansfield Christian School. And in short time, Pastor Lineweber has emerged as a well-respected speaker and thinker on the topic of biblical worldviews specifically as it relates to youth. And as you may recall, Generations Y and Z, as I've identified them previously on this podcast. So we'll get to him just momentarily. And again, I'm excited to welcome him. But first, let's go to school and let's set this up in terms of what we're going to be talking about today. Today, I want you to know more about what it means to hold a biblical worldview and why that matters for us moving forward. You know, everyone has a worldview, whether they realize it or not. In other words, they understand a story of the world, what has been, what is right now, and the way things may be in the future. And if you're a Christian like I am, and perhaps many of you in the audience, you recognize that this story of the world is God's story, and that's what you know to be true. You don't just believe it, you know it to be true. And we like to say that God's story has four chapters. Chapter one, creation and then the fall, and then redemption, and then restoration. I've heard them explain like this. Chapter one, creation, the way things ought to be, the way God designed them originally. They were perfect without sin. Then chapter two, the fall, the sin entered the world and then marred everything. And we know inherently as believers now born into this world, something's just not right. That's why good things happen to, or bad things happen to to good people, as they say. So the fall certainly changed everything. That's the way things are. And then redemption, the way things can be, thanks to Christ redeeming us and his work on the cross and forgiveness of sin. Now we've been restored or reconciled with him, and we can restore that relationship with not only him vertically, but then with each other horizontally. So the way things can be, and that's a that's a wonderful time that we're living in now of redemption in chapter three. And then chapter four, restoration, the way things will be in the future when Christ returns and sets up a new heaven and a new earth. So for the Christian, that's really what they understand to be, again, God's story, this narrative of the world, and really that's biblical worldview. And this frames all the context for how we see the world, everything that has happened, everything that happens now, and what might happen in the future. All of life is interpreted through that lens. So let me make three chalkboard points moving forward, and then we'll jump right into Pastor Lineweber in light of what I said here already. Point number one, worldview matters. Worldview matters, period. As we mature, our biblical worldview is on display in how we think and how we act. 
It impacts everything that we do in life, from whom we marry, where we live, how we think about politics and entertainment and the media, uh, what you choose uh, to do for a living, what you choose, again, for your own entertainment and your leisure time and things like that. It really impacts, of course, how you live uh, your life from start to finish, how you raise your children, and whether you realize it or not, everyone has a worldview. Point number two, chalkboard point number two, to be in school is to acquire a worldview. You can't be educated without picking up and acquiring a worldview. Everything we do in schools from preschool to graduate school is impacted by or driven by some basic assumptions about how things are and how things can be. It just can't be avoided. There's a narrative for every subject that we teach in school. And make no mistake, kids pick it up. As it says in Luke 6, a student who is fully trained will be like his teacher. So there's a narrative, again, for everything we teach in school. And chalkboard point number three, secularism is a worldview. And we tend not to think of it like that, or maybe we don't say those terms, but secularism is a worldview. In other words, it's a worldview without God. And most of the children in this school, around 90% are in this world country, about 90% are educated in this particular worldview, where they learn three basic things consistent with all of this in a secularist worldview. Uh, Number one, that there is no God, or at least he's irrelevant here. No supernatural God. Number two, the physical matter, the physical universe, the physical cosmos is all that exists. And it has sprung up somewhere uniquely, perhaps chaotically. It's unguided. But that's really all we can know is the physical. And number three, the supernatural or religious experiences really are a personal and a private matter. And that's the secularist worldview that is, again, at play in our schools around the country, that 90% of our population has been educated under that particular influence. So again, worldview matters. To be in school is to acquire a worldview, and secularism is a worldview. There's a grand story or there's a grand narrative about the world. Christians have a specific worldview based on what we know is true. It's God's story, creation, fall, redemption, restoration. The secularists have a worldview as well. There is no God or he's not relevant here. The physical cosmos is all that exists and all religious experiences are personal or private matter. Well, now you know more. And as I've said before uh, about biblical worldview, when you know more, now you can do more. You can think differently and perhaps you can act differently and you can say no more if you must and you can act on those convictions and change direction. So that sets us up well, I think, for what we're talking about now. And so let's jump into our lesson and let's put this into practice and let's officially again welcome our guest with us today, uh, Pastor Phil Lineweber. So Phil, great to have you here. Uh, Again, as I said, he's the Associate Pastor at Berean Baptist Church here in Mansfield, married to Sarah. And I know they have three active boys, as he put on his biography, and we appreciate those boys at Mansfield Christian School. He's got a Bachelor in Arts uh, of Arts degree in Religion from Liberty University, as well as his Master's in Biblical Studies, Master's of Divinity in Theological Studies from Liberty's Divinity School. He's currently completing his Doctor of Ministry degree from Southwest Baptist Theological Seminary, specializing in applied theology. I'm excited for Phil to uh, finish that, and I know that'll 
just continue to open great doors for him. So, Pastor Lineweber, great to have you with us today. Hey, Dr. Smith, thank you for having me. It's an honor and a privilege. Oh, awesome. Great. Well, I know when I say worldview matters, you understand that uh, fully. And worldview matters, period. How is it then that you tend to see this play out in your world, uh, obviously in uh, connection with both church and perhaps even school, but you see this obviously every day in an ongoing basis. How does this play out for you? Yeah, well, it's something I'm passionate about, having worked with especially teenagers for over a decade um, since I was a young man, just seeing how important it is how every young follower of Christ sees the world. And we are living in a colossal shift of worldview in our culture. And I know you know this as, as well as anyone, but we are really living in a state where the truth is up for grabs, um, where, you know, individualism is on the rise. What I want to be true is, is what can be true for me. And we're seeing that play out in gender and identity and sexuality. Um, this idea of pluralism, where we should just all be able to tolerate one another's beliefs unless you think mine aren't tolerable, you know, then you are out and then you are out. So there's no room for exclusivism. Um, you know, you need to be accepting of, of anyone and everyone. And so I, I really think worldview develops in the midst of a culture, whether we know it or not, we're being affected by our cultural moment. You know, that you can't shelter uh, the next generation from our culture with media. I mean, you could do your best, but it's like you could live in a cave. But with media, our culture is brought into our homes and into the palm of almost every student that I see in our church or in our community. Mm. And so they're being indoctrinated with a worldview by our culture. And I would agree, it's a secular worldview. And so it, we are already, as Christian leaders and parents, um, and Christians ourselves, we're, we need to be on the, def we're already on the defensive by nature of the water that we're swimming in. And so I know David Kinnaman from Barna has called this culture, this world, uh, the digital Babylon. Mm. And, you know, it's where we used to be able to monitor who our kids' friends are. Now those friends are coming into their bedrooms via this device and into their minds and their thoughts via text messages and social media and entertainment and streaming. And so, uh, we form worldview in community and the villages that we're a part of. The scary thing is our village has gotten become global overnight. And even for a 13-year-old with an iPhone, um, his community that is forming his worldview could involve people on the other side of the planet bringing who knows what kind of ideas um, that are toxic to a Christian or biblical worldview. And so um, the truth is up for grabs. And, you know, the community that are, is affecting the next generation is huge. I would say as a word of encouragement, though, there's no, you know, as I look at the next generation, there's not really ground to be in the middle in this. You're either going to sell out and be indoctrinated in the world's culture and ideals, or you're going to stand for truth uh, like never before. And so as I look at young people who are passionate and are being educated and discipled into a Christian worldview, I'm seeing a, a missional generation stand up, um, excited to leverage media and social media and technology for the kingdom. Um, I see this young generation that says, hey, we're going to finish the Great Commission. And we have the potential to do that like none before. And so, you know, with this great need and this great threat, there's also a generation that's rising to that challenge. Um, I just think how, you know, there's a distrust across the board in, in this cultural moment of institutions 
and authority, you know, and really it's the self that determines this truth. Mm. And so it doesn't matter what your heritage was, you will challenge the status quo. And so I just think of one story in particular of um, a student of mine who was seeking to represent a biblical worldview in their local school. And uh, they told me about how they're at a lunch table and because of their traditional position on marriage as an evangelical Christian, they were being uh, just blasted um, by their peers. The, the ringleader was a cultural Catholic who's, who would you know, espouse, you know, a, a, their church believes in traditional marriage. That doesn't matter. You know, how dare you be so small minded that you would accept a traditional biblical understanding of marriage? You should feel horrible about yourself. You yeah. know, you're offending everyone here. And, you know, this is a very gracious student. When I think about them, it's not like they're one that's going to pull out the boxing gloves. They're a kind hearted student. And yet here it is, even you think a cultural Catholic who is leading the charge against them, um, no longer is the church um, an authority for worldview in the lives of young people. Yeah, great, great. Uh, that's a lot there. Great, great answer. And a lot of things I'd uh, love to pick up on and comment on. Yeah. And, and I'll try to uh, do my best here. And so uh, just appreciate that. And and, and maybe uh, just specifically, I'll get right to that point that you made first off about the culture driving their worldviews. I think that's a significant thing because previously, obviously, as we were talking about in this intro, this being God's story and that driving our worldview. And so I interpret the culture via God's story. So that was in play long before the culture. And so what happens to me now and what will happen and how I respond in the future, I'll interpret that because this is God's story. And it was here long before I was. Now, what you're saying is it's flipped. And so what I'm receiving from the culture now, I'll take in and that will become the new driver of how I think. And it could change, right? It could be fluid on a relatively you know, regular basis, because whatever might have the greatest impact or um, the greatest uh, influence on my thinking at this point in my life now determines my worldview. So it was an interesting comment there. Well, specifically, then, I guess that's a that's a good segue. Specifically, what kinds of things are you seeing or what uh, things are you hearing from this generation now that that really you think, yep, this really kind of defines their worldview in many ways as a result of the culture? Maybe some specific examples there. Yeah, well, I think you hit on a reality is it's changing faster than it ever has before. Mm. You know, with this technology and the information age, um, you know, I'm, I'm a millennial, you know, I'm in my mid thirties, but I can see the generation Gen Y you referred to, you know, Gen Z behind me They they've already moved on. Yeah. Uh, you know, it, it's, it's quick. It's that fast. Right. And, and not just a subtle shift, like you might see from boomers to Gen X, it, it's a complete revolution already within the next generation. So even as someone who works with the next year, I feel like I'm, I'm an old guy. I'm an old man. I'm, I'm already out of touch. Uh, and so, I, you know, I feel like for millennials, Gen Y, um, you know, there was this idea of, you know, moralistic therapeutic deism. Christian Smith alludes to that idea. And so religion, the purpose of, you know, faith is really about being a better person, about being happy, finding purpose, um, and God's not really that involved in your day-to-day -day life. That's the deism, you know. He, he's there maybe if you need him in an emergency. But for the most part, we're just kind of coasting, you know. Uh, it, it's a little bit of a individualism. And it's just God, add some God, sprinkle some God into my life, um, and it'll be better. But 
with with Gen Z, um, it is much less of let's just tolerate almost a um, a passive Christianity light. It, it's a, either a complete rejection or a complete embracing. Uh, it, it seems like with with media with um, just so many alternatives out there, there's not much room for middle ground anymore, and it can turn on a dime. And so, um, you know, a postmodern pluralism where there is no truth. Like I said earlier, the truth is up for grabs. An older generation might say, live and let live. That seems to be the motto. And if you don't let others live their truth, you're the worst enemy. You're the oppressor. You're the one who is stifling um, my purpose. You know, my greatest good is to express myself authentically. And when I don't do that, when I'm not able to do that, when you're, when you're hindering that or making me feel bad for doing that, you are the enemy of my happiness. And so, um, expressing oneself individually, I, you know, this, the selfie generation, it's like that is the greatest good, living an authentic life. I just feel like that has become, um, the greatest good is being true to yourself. And, uh, it's, it, you know, we'll, we'll get into this probably in a second, but it is causing mayhem in the hearts and the lives of young people mm. because that is a shifting sand to build a house upon. Yeah. Yeah. Well said. Yeah. Well said. And you're exactly right. What we're seeing here at, uh, in schools, especially is, uh, Maybe if there is some sort of upside, it's that, yeah, we have lost a lot of that middle ground. Uh, because if you're going to say you're a believer now, well, then this is the way you should walk and talk and live and follow those things very authentically. Uh, you don't kind of flirt in that middle gray, perhaps as you did a generation or so ago. Uh, because then if you want to go completely a different direction, well, then you better go all in that direction. Um, but like you said, what has changed is on the downside is, well, then I need to have that respect, uh, that position, not only respected, but celebrated as my truth. And so, yep, you can have your Christian truth and you can camp out over there, but I have my equal valid truth and, and I have a right to uh, pursue an, an authentic belief over here as well. However misguided you may seem, that's that's irrelevant. Uh, those things are, are are separated. You have yours, I have mine, and, and, and we can't encroach upon those things. Yeah, and it's just this idea that we can um, both have conflicting truths. Yeah. It, it's just I know for older generations, especially, is so frustrating. Yeah. You know, it's it's like that, but it, it seems like the younger generations, and I, I feel like I have a foot in that. I hope you know. It, that paradox is not as difficult because what really matters is my feelings, not the truth. Yeah. What really matters is the subjective experience, yeah. not the object, objective reality. Yeah. And that's the, and so I can surrender objective truth if it means subjective comfort. And, and that's a scary thing. And it, it, you know, I think there's a lot of opportunities there because you know, there's still a, an emphasis on knowledge and information and, and, and almost that modernism, like we can, we can save the world, um, via technology and innovation, you know, but all of those things, though, innovation that has driven this really prosperity in the world, um, it is, is based upon true realities mm. in science and in mathematics and physics. And to act like morality, to act like metaphysics 
has its own set of rules is really inconsistent. And like you even alluded to this idea of a, a grand story, worldview matters. I mean, you don't have to look more than, you know, the, the chaos that, that we see in our culture. We have to look a week ago, you know, or two weeks ago that there's a shooting. And I don't see with social media, you see virtue signaling more than I've ever seen it before, right. especially by Gen Z, whether it be on the environment or justice issues. Where do they get that passion and that zeal for these virtues. Yeah. And, that, and that's where I think there's a lot of inroads where their worldview, their subjective worldview gives them no authority to speak in the way that they do. And that's where a Christian worldview, a biblical worldview gets to jump right in and say, we can tell you why justice really matters. Mm-hmm. We can tell you why, you know, racial uh, unity actually is is a God-given idea. We're all made in the image of God. Um, We can tell you why, yeah, your sexuality does matter and God doesn't make mistakes. And uh, you are, you know, designed and made with great intentionality and your worth comes from the fact that you have a maker. And so um, I really believe, as you even said, the biblical worldview gives us a better story, a more compelling story in a a world of, um, I think, a lack of certainty. Yeah. Yeah. Well said. Yep. Appreciate that. Uh, a lot there to unpack as well. And uh, you just said it, uh, said it very well. And you mentioned earlier, even uh, as you started, uh, you're part of that, uh, you know, millennial generation, you know, that Gen Y. And so I'm sure you've wrestled with some of these things in your peers and continue to do so. And it's changed yeah. so fast, as you mentioned. So yeah, a great comment. And so even in, you know, I wanted to ask, even in your own uh, life and your ministry, um, in the short, you know, what, 15, 20 years, perhaps, that you've been doing this. Uh, what yeah. are some significant changes, some benchmark times and or and or concepts that you've seen? Boy, you know, uh, for me, we were really camped out on this issue. But now, just 10, 15 yeah. years later, these are some of the things that now really have to be a focus of my life in the in the church world with youth today. Yeah, well, you know, my first year in college, which was, uh, I'll make you feel really old, uh, 2005, <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, Facebook had just launched. Mm. And so social media was a, a, an idea. It wasn't pra- practical. And when it launched at that time, it was only, you had to have an EDU email address to get on it. It oh. was kind of an exclusive club for college students, which is why it exploded. Cause you felt like you were part of a special thing. Um, now, social media is an assumption for a young person. I'm on social media. I'm using it. Not only that, I've got a smartphone um, that allows me to interact in all these environments. And so technology has completely exploded. Um, when I started high school, you know, very few people, few of my peers had phones. You know, by the time I was done college, everyone had a smartphone. And so just in a short amount of time, you know, technology just exploded um, you know, the issue of gender identity was not a thing. Um, it was maybe a very fringe idea. Um, at that time, I think, you know, gay marriage was more a mainstream idea in the culture war, but not uh, gender theory. And uh, and so that has changed radically within the last 10 years. And so, uh, again, a relatively short amount of time for a significant cultural shift. Um, something I've seen recently in the last several years is, you know, and you know this, the, the parent generation that you're gearing towards at Mansfield Christian are now millennials. Mm. Millennials grew up with technology. Right. 
And so parenting has changed and there's a greater awareness of the threat of media and technology by parents. Mm. That's been a good shift mm. um, where parents are concerned with their children's technology use and know the power of it uh, for good and ill and want to to really help their their children develop um you know, wisdom and how they use technology. So, yeah, great. Yeah, great points. And I would certainly echo that as well as we're seeing that also uh, here. And that's definitely a big shift since, as you said, since you were there, we were probably heading in that direction where parents were getting into the swing of the use of, hey, yeah, I've grown up with an iPhone as well, and I've grown up with technology also, and we'll do the best we can to maybe monitor how that goes in our house. That was always kind of the feeling, even, you know, five to 10 years ago is, hey, I think we can just manage it with a few filters. We would put on workshops. You could go to church and find a few companies that maybe I could just do this and we'll probably be pretty safe. But overall, we kind of enjoy the benefits, and I think I can trust my children, and and now, yeah, that that game has or that ship has sailed, and parents are much more in tune to saying, "Boy, I, I have to be overzealous when it comes to technology with my children." And and how that looks might be different from family to family, but they're becoming way more passionate as millennial parents about really uh, safeguarding their children in many ways. Now, I'm not saying they they all are uh, uh, <laughs> not giving their children iPhones and not giving their children technology, but they are definitely using a greater amount of discretion than ever before. And certainly this they did even, you know, 10, 15 years ago, uh, no doubt about it. Um, gender identity. Yeah, exactly what you said. How many pastors out there, how many school people, how many teachers, how many pastors uh, were certainly not trained uh, to deal with this specific issue? And they're dealing with it on the fly uh, as best they possibly can. Never, even for millennials like yourself, who might be in their uppers, 30s and 40s, never managed or never uh, would have thought uh, in their imagination that they were going to be dealing with this as a primary issue in their youth groups, uh, where I'm going to have to talk through these things about what it means to be made in God's image and mm. what kind of value that has for me. How do I take, uh, you know, a godly pride in being a male the way God made me? And what is that role as I live out this uh, part of God's story? And what does it mean to be proud of being a female? And how uniquely different is that? And these seem to be just things we were going to take for granted. And now all of the sudden, millennial, <laughs> millennial pastors, everywhere and boomers largely uh, exiting, but still uh, Gen X and then millennials as well saying in schools, wow, how do I even handle this on the school front? And thank goodness for uh, Christian schools and educational experiences like us where parents really say to us, we expect you to deal with that at school mm -hmm. because that's a big, big issue. And we're trying to get a handle on it at home, but we really need you to walk beside us at school. Yeah, that's yeah. good. Yeah, we need to, as the church, um, in our homes and in Christian schools, we need to talk about these issues. You yeah. know, and that's the issue with the digital Babylon is because if we don't, um, someone else will. And and your, our kids are being indoctrinated by media. Um, yeah. And so how do we help them develop that biblical worldview? Yeah.
Well, you mentioned the church, and that's exactly where I was headed next. What do you think, then, is the role of the church? I mean, I, I kind of understand my role very specifically, and we try to act as an extension of the, the church here at uh, Christian School, so we're very interested in this. But what do you think is the role of the church in this emerging generation of young adults today? What In what ways are you trying to come alongside families and really meet them where they're at, knowing that, boy, uh, no two families may be alike on some of these things? Yeah. Well, I just, I think of a situation not long ago um, where um, an unchurched mom, you know, showed up with her teenage daughter who um, had threatened to take her own life Mm. um, and just said, we need help. And I didn't know where else to go. Again, a a parent who was not frequently in church, um, but just knew that what her daughter needed was something that no one else could offer that she knew of. And so she knew nothing else than to go to the church. And so, I'm seeing just a massive mental health crisis in young people. And I really believe that's because when you base reality and meaning on yourself and your own self-expression, it's a, it's a house of cards. And so, you know, if my greatest purpose is my self-actualization, man, it's like, um, it's torture to the soul because anytime I experience dissatisfaction, I must be doing something wrong. Anytime I feel like I'm broken, there's no answer for that. And so um, I think we've given, we've taken legitimate purpose away from young people by removing a biblical worldview mm-hmm. in our culture and mm-hmm. in our in our schools and our lives. Um, things become a lot more simple when it's God made you. Mm-hmm. He made you in his image. You have intrinsic value and worth. You're not a mistake. And he loves you. And the greatest demonstration of that is he sent his son to die on the cross for you. Mm-hmm. And that's back to that redemption. That's a biblical worldview. And he wants to have a restored relationship you through faith in his son, Jesus Christ. And your purpose is tied to your relationship with your maker. The lines become a lot clearer. And so I think for the church to continue to be, as as Paul said, a pillar and buttress of the truth, that we would proclaim the truth of God, um, that our purpose is found in him, that redemption and salvation is only found in Jesus Christ. Um, One of my greatest concerns is for biblical illiteracy in our culture, even in our Christian churches. Um, I think with technology, we've become as a culture intellectually lazy, and the church has not gone untouched by that. And so how do we have in in a culture that's continuously attacking a biblical worldview, um, even pastors who would claim to be Christian who have far from a biblical worldview, Mm -hmm. um, reinterpreting scriptures in ways they haven't been interpreted in millennia. um, We need people who know God's word, know how to rightly divide the word of truth and will speak it boldly in a post-Christian culture. Yeah, wow. I think uh, biblical illiteracy could be a whole show in and of itself, and you really touched on something there. And we definitely would share that same concern um, because we have to take that uh, very seriously here because we obviously are Christian schools. We use Bible teachers, as they're often called. And so these are, you know, men and women who we've entrusted to, to share that biblical worldview every day, uh, class after class after class. And so, uh, we now more than ever are trying to safeguard, yes, what are we teaching in those courses and making sure that it really does line up because even they can be impacted just like these pastors that you're saying. They can be influenced by things that maybe aren't quite exactly, uh, 
mm, aren't accurate. And maybe we're letting something creep in that shouldn't necessarily be there. So we have to have a strong uh, sense of where we're going as a, as a Christian school. So we totally, totally get that. And we have a lot of built-in accountability measures like that in a large organization. But if I'm in a church of maybe 200 people and I've got one to two people on staff and uh, 90% of all those roles are done by the executive pastor, right? Where's the safeguard there to make sure that we are making, uh, that everything that's being preached from the pulpit is lining up with, again, uh, God's truth. And so, yeah, we're, we're seeing that uh, as well. That's good. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Great. Great. Well, yeah, as we kind of uh, maybe draw our time to a close, but I wanted to look at even big picture here and maybe jump to some of the national trends that you're hearing about or that you're, um, uh, you're, you're reading about or that you're even perceiving as you talk with your peers uh, in the church world and even those in uh, the education world as well. Kind of the national trends that you're keeping your eye on with regard to this next generation. Where do you think we're kind of moving from here? What do you think's around the corner? And how can we best start getting prepared for that as both educators and church leaders? Yeah, I really think, you know, technology is not going away. Mm. And um, it, it's interesting, even with this advent recently of AI, um, you know, I think Google um, taught us we don't need to remember anything. Uh, AI, I think, is going to teach us that we don't need to think anything. Mm. Um, and so how do we encourage our young people um, that, man, God gave you a mind and, man, the greatest strategy the enemy could ever get is for young people, for old people alike to stop thinking. God's word says we're transformed by the renewing of our mind. Yeah. And so um, people who know God's word and allow their minds to think deeply, uh, I really believe God calls us as followers of Jesus to be the best thinkers on the planet. Yeah. And so how do we um, be transformed by the renewing of our minds, set our minds on things above um, and be ready to give an answer uh, for the hope that is in us in a culture that increasingly has no hope? Yeah. 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 Great. Yep. Totally agree. And uh, I was at a conference uh, not too long ago, and uh, AI definitely came up as one of those things you can imagine in education. Uh, we're all, you know, I wouldn't say we're panicked. And I was appreciative of some of the Christian school colleagues that I uh, spoke with at dinner one evening were already on it. I mean, they had AI committees formed, and they had already dabbled with it themselves. And they were already introduced to different apps that can detect when a child has used AI to try to create an essay. So it was, were they using AI? AI to prevent the use of AI. <laughs> smarter than, uh, you know, than we, than we realize. But uh, yeah, certainly. And I like how you said that. We could definitely uh, uh, forfeit our ability to think and uh, Satan would love nothing more. And that's so, so critical. And we see that obviously every day in the school business as well. What are you hearing? What are you seeing? What are you, uh, what are you experiencing even? And can we filter all of that through this biblical worldview? And that is truth and that is reality, not through what the culture uh, says is acceptable or not through all this myriad of different positions. But what does God say about these things? And you have to know it. And that's why, obviously, what we do in education and combined with what you're doing at church is so important because it starts at those young ages. I've got to know some of those verses. And maybe we need some throwback experiences to those days when we were memorizing verses so the kids can recall those things and they can say, 
Yeah, I remember memorizing that as a child in elementary school. And I remember this is how the teacher explained that we should apply it. And this is how the Sunday school teacher used it. And this is how the youth pastor used it. And this is how my third people, uh, third period Bible teacher used it. And, and all of these godly men and women are uh, speaking the same truth into this child's life so that when they confront something that is clearly contradictory to God's word, they say, whoa, whoa, this is a gigantic red flag here. I recognize this as a false idea. I'm not going to be taken captive here by this empty philosophy, as Paul says, uh, because I do recognize it and some red flags have gone up. And I can only do that if, as you said, my mind has been transformed. So without that transformation, which we would certainly contend, uh, probably isn't going to happen in one or two hours a month. Um, and I know churches are pleading with their people to be there more and more and more. And I know a number of churches that are just knocking it out of the park and doing a great job. Uh, those of us in Christian education would say kudos to you and amen. Let us help you take it to the next level. And let us work with you as Christian schools to say, you know, we do that for seven, eight, nine, ten hours a day five days a week when it comes to extracurriculars and club activities and, and the classes and things like that. And so we're going to come alongside those churches, good churches like Berean and say, yep, it's going to take all of us. And then those other hours at home to make sure that we're building in that biblical worldview, because the culture, like you said, technology is not going to stop. It's strong tech. Uh, the culture is not going to stop. It is just going to keep pressing. You don't want the culture to be the default worldview for your child. Yeah, that's good. Well yeah. said. Yeah, thank you. Well, tell us in closing, if they want to know more about either Berean or Pastor Phil Lineweber, I know you do a blog. If they want to know a little bit more about you and what you say on these matters, how can they how can they read more about what you're thinking? How uh, or if there's anything else uh, that you want to say in terms of a connection with you? No, I appreciate that. Yeah, BereanFamily.com. We're in central Ohio, Mansfield, Ohio, and we want to be a church that um, is enjoying God together, growing in grace and truth, and taking life in Christ to the heart of Ohio and beyond. And so that's why we exist. God has just really shown a lot of favor in this season in our church, and we're seeking to partner with great organizations like MCS um, to make disciples that will reach the nations and push back on this culture. Um, and so, yeah, I, I blog at philwithgrace.com, um, and you can go on there. I love to blog about current events, apologetics, and uh, and worldview. And so it's one of my interests and one of the reasons I, I love being a part of the board at Mansfield Christian School, just to make sure we're a school that continues to uh, teach our young people to think and live biblically and that they'd impact their culture and their world for Jesus. Yeah, well, great. Well, we think highly of you at Mansfield Christian, and every school should be so fortunate to get uh, a Phil Lineweber on their board and on their leadership team. So we are thrilled, and thank you so much, brother, for what it is that you do, and we just look forward to our continued connection with not only Berean, but uh, your own personal ministry as well. And we wish you certainly all the best. And this is probably the first of several times that we'll have you on as a guest, if that's okay with you. I love that. Thank you. Awesome. That's great. Well, appreciate you so much. Well, I trust that now you know more about 
biblical worldview. So thank you so much for joining me on today's podcast of Clearly Christian. Because again, when you know more, you can do more. You can think differently and you can act differently and you can say no more when you must act on those convictions and change direction for you and your family. The only way to turn things around in our country and to get where we need to be is by making sure uh, that we have an increase in number of people who truly live and operate with a biblical worldview and see the world from God's perspective. And the best means or the greatest hope that we have of achieving this vision is to increase the number of children, the next generation, who have received a Christian education, either at home uh, or in Christian schools. So again, that's the premise of this show, and we look forward to more episodes on Clearly Christian. So thank you again for watching or listening to the podcast today. I'm Dr. Cy Smith, and again, this has been the Clearly Christian Podcast. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Clearly Christian Podcast with Dr. Cy Smith. Hear more episodes at clearlychristianeducation.com. If you'd like more information about Christian education in your neighborhood, or if you're interested in education opportunities at Mansfield Christian School, or if you agree with Dr. Smith and want to help him in his mission to influence and awaken Christian America, you can send Dr. Smith an email through the clearlychristianeducation.com website. Message him on the Clearly Christian LinkedIn or Facebook page, or call the Clearly Christian Connect line at 419-756-5651. This has been the Clearly Christian Podcast with Dr. Cy Smith on clearlychristianeducation.com. Brought to you in conjunction with Mansfield Christian School. A Brian Media Production.